It is The Pastor's Heart and Dominic Steele and thanks for joining us this afternoon and my guest today, the new Archbishop-elect of Sydney, Kanishka Raphael. Kanishka, thanks for coming in on what must be a crazy week. Oh, thanks Dominic, <laughs> it's good to be here. Um, you were on holidays last week after getting elected and so yesterday, your first day kind of in the new job, although it doesn't really start till Friday. No, I'm in transition, that's right. Yeah. Um, how's your heart coping with it all? I mean, it's just a massive responsibility. Uh, it's a massive responsibility, that's true. We've been very conscious through the whole process that uh, many people have been praying. And uh, since the election, many people have uh, contacted us to say we're praying for you. Mm. And we do, uh, we do really feel upheld by the prayers of God's people. And, uh, and we feel, as we prayed in the lead up to the election, that God's will would be done. We feel the Synod has now done God's will. <laughs> and so, um, uh, so we're trusting the Lord. I mean, I think uh, in every kind of ministry venture, um, it's an opportunity for us to grow in our trust in God, to grow in our dependence upon Him, uh, to grow in our praise of Him, uh, to uh, put aside any reliance on our own kind of resources and strength, uh, but to believe that He's a good and faithful God and that he's prepared works for us to do. And it's what, you know, that, uh, that verse from uh, Ephesians 2, uh, sometimes the verse that gets left off, you know, mm. you've been saved by grace uh, through faith, not of yourself, it's a gift of God, uh, so that you may walk in the, uh, in, in, in the works that he has prepared. And those two things go together. He's got stuff for us to do, but his grace is sufficient. Mm. And so I just find myself coming back to those great promises in Scripture. Um, when I was a very young minister, I remember a much older minister uh, giving me the verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Uh, the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Mm. And uh, so I find myself again <laughs> throwing myself on the sufficiency of the Lord and trusting myself to Him. And that's not a bad place to be, mm. is it? Mm. How did you first find out that actually you were the Archbishop of Sydney? Uh, well, the, uh, the election synod um, is uh, chaired by a president, mm -hmm. uh, Bishop Peter Lynn, in our Anglican diocese here in Sydney. Uh, so Peter rang me um, when they completed the count mid-morning <laughs> and let me know. Um, and, uh, Here's the score. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. And I sort of felt the, the blood drain away from me. And um, I was at home alone at the time. And uh, so I, well, to tell you the truth, I just went up to my room and um, knelt at my bed and read through the service of morning prayer from the Book of Common Prayer, which of course includes a confession of sin. And I felt convicted of my weakness and my need for God. Uh, but also of his amazing grace and his willingness to be at work through weak servants. And um, I got up after that, and, and uh, here we are. <laughs> I, I, I mean, just as you answer that question, you're kind of touching on an issue. I, I think I, as a Christian leader, feel a responsibility to be godly and to manage myself well, not just for my own self, but for the people I lead. I'm imagining stepping into this office you would feel that many, many more times more intensely. Yes, I, yes, I think that's very perceptive, uh, and I think that's true. And it's true of local church leadership, as you say. Uh, so I've had um, 25 years or so of that. Uh, and all the more so, I suppose, because 
um, in this role, you are in contact with uh, a, a, you know a much wider group of people, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, uh, absolutely, you feel all the more the need to be relying on God and His grace in every moment, certainly. Mm. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned one Bible verse. What other verses have been speaking into your life this yeah, thanks. Thank you. Well, you know, a, a number. <laughs> uh, on, the, uh, uh, on the night of the uh, election synod, um, I, I uh, referred to a few, uh, beginning with um, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, what, what is Paul and what is Apollos? Uh, only servants uh, through, you know, to whom God appointed tasks, but God gave the growth. And I think uh, there's a great sense in this role um, but the Archbishop really, you know, he's just a man mm -hmm. and he's only one. Mm. But the diocese is this fantastic uh, community throughout the city of um, people in churches, uh, people working in schools, in agencies, uh, Christian people in the community, uh, serving through their churches, serving through their work lives, uh, nurturing their families in the faith, reaching out to people. I mean, the, you know, the Sydney Diocese is mm. just a fantastic uh, expression of uh, Christian fellowship. It's such a privilege to be occupied in this position. Um, and uh, and we're all pursuing that mission together mm. and God will give the growth. Mm. Um, and I'm just a fellow servant amongst God's people. Mm. The, the consecration inauguration night, Friday night, um, you said to me a couple of weeks ago you were thinking of... Well, Preaching on the cross. Sure, yeah. Um, is that what you? Going I to am do? going to do that. I am going to preach on. Uh, um, I resolve to know nothing amongst you but Christ and Him crucified. Uh, one Corinthians one and two. Um, some verses from there. I, I just think, uh, uh, certainly, I think you know we would all say, wouldn't we, that it was the cross of Christ, uh, the grace that flows from the cross of Christ, the forgiveness that flows from there, um, and uh, um, our experience of the love of Jesus the love of God demonstrated in the cross uh, that is at the heart and the centre. Uh, you know, it's the driving engine. In fact, I, I should be writing this down for my That's sermon. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, so I thought, well, that's, that's what I want to talk about. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, and having known you for a long time, that's what you've consistently wanted to talk about. Sure. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I think it, it is the, it's the burden, it's the burden of Scripture and the Gospel, isn't it? It drives to this, to this point. Um, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, we want to lift up the cross, absolutely. Now, um, the synod that elected you, mm. on the first day of that synod, there was an address by Peter Lynn mm. um, defining uh, four or five tasks mm. for the next archbishop, mm. um, whoever he might be. Yeah. Um, I want to start with his last one, which was the gospel. Mm. And... Um, a number of people have said the last little while that in the Sydney Anglican Church, with all those good things that you talked about before, mm. there's been a little, I don't know, loss of focus on mm. the heartbeat of the need to mm. proclaim Christ. Mm. Um, and I'm imagining that's something that you would want to not be said at the end of your term of Archbishop. Yeah, sure. I, I, it's a very hard thing to kind of assess. You know, I mm. think... Uh, I think there are plenty of people out there. I, absolutely, this morning you and I were both at a prayer breakfast uh, of thirteen hundred people in the city, mm. and uh, you know we prayed for the progress of the gospel in the life of the city and 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 the people that we work and live with. And uh, so th there is that going. But absolutely, um, 
we always want to be seeing the temperature raised uh, on, uh, on evangelistic work. And I think um, there's no doubt that the cultural changes uh, have affected the way we think and approach um, that missional task. Mm. And in some sense, um, I think there's been, perhaps to some extent, there's been a sense in which we're kind of retooling and uh, uh, re-evaluating our cultural context and in a sense trying to learn again how to evangelise mm. our friends and neighbours because the cultural milieu has changed so much in such a short period of time. Um, there's been some level of disorientation and some level of discouragement as mm. well. You know, I think people have... Uh, just felt like, oh, it's not a good time, and I'm not sure how to raise this subject, uh, these kinds of things. But I think, um, uh, you know, there's every reason for confidence because mm. one of the other verses I've been going back to is, uh, is Jesus in Matthew 18 saying, I will build my church. Mm. And that is an absolutely rock-solid promise that Jesus has been fulfilling for 2,000 years. He's not going to stop now. Mm. Um, and unless you think that God has uh, turned away from Sydney, um, why would you stop proclaiming the gospel? Mm. Uh, he absolutely has no reason to think that yeah. that's the case. Uh, we, need to be, um, uh, we need to be attuned to our culture. And I think in part that means uh, recognising, for example, the importance of our local churches and the quality of the community in our local churches mm -hmm. because uh, Christianity is so foreign now to so many people mm. And to some extent, even a kind of social cost, uh, people need to see something to say, what, why would I even mm. you know, <laughs> give, this, uh, give this a hearing? Mm. And if you think about the local church, you think about um, people of different ages and different backgrounds and different ethnicities um, united uh, around uh, a living, loving Lord and serving him and one another that's tremendously powerful, tremendously encouraging. And uh, in that context, you know, I think people will need to hear it from their friends. Mm. This is, we're not gonna, there's not, it's not experts and archbishops mm. who are going to convince average Australians about the truth of the gospel. It's the friends, the colleagues, the people they love and respect and interact with, the quality of their lives matching this thing that they had, mm. this kind of strange, unexplained thing about <laughs> Jesus, uh, but somehow these two things go together, that's going to be um, important and, uh, uh, and effective, I think, mm. under God. Yeah. You're saying just before you, you're reading um, Carl Truman on the, uh, on the cultural analysis. Uh, mm. Mm. What do you pick up there? Well, you know, I think he's done yeah, a very a good job. Super helpful new book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, re reinventing the modern self. I've yeah. forgotten what it's called. Anyway, <laughs> Carl Truman. Um, uh, everybody's reading it. So, uh, look, I think two of the things that he's he's really um, uh, kind of pinned down on um, the kind of expressive individualism uh, and the inward turn, the 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 primacy of the psychological self. Mm -hmm in the contemporary cultural milieu, which is not only uh, taking to itself um, authority to interpret the world, well, that, that's what it's doing. Uh, so he says, for example, you know, once upon a time people would be located in their family, in their industry or union or in their church group, and that the group, the community, would interpret the world. 
But now it's the individual who interprets the mm. world and the group, society, the family, uh, church, everybody else has to accommodate themselves to the individual uh, self-designated interpretation of mm. the world. That, that's very powerful because mm. that's the milieu. That, that's the air we breathe. Mm. Uh, people are not uh, deliberately doing this. They're inevitably mm. doing it. They can't help do mm. it. Um, these, this idea that uh, authority, authenticity is to be found by turning inward and uh, your own kind of process of identification, this is second nature to us now. Mm. Uh, but it's not universal. It's a Western, secular, late modern phenomenon. And uh, we need to understand it so that we can bring the gospel to bear on that kind of culture in an intelligible way. Because that inward turn just won't satisfy all of those essential human longings. It's not enough to explain our quest for justice, the way we're affected by beauty, Mm -hmm. our search for meaning, um, our problems with guilt and shame. Uh, The inward turn is not enough to cope with it. And uh, so the gospel still has much to say and powerful, powerful, powerfully to bring the love of God to bear in people's lives. We have cultural problems both in the church and outside the church. And sure. some of it's coming to our head, our head in sexuality. Do you know? And so um, talk to me first about um, proclaiming Christ in our secular, sexual world. Mm, yeah. mm. Well, you know, uh, our... Uh, a secular sexual world is just failing us everywhere. Um, you know, there's so much uh, uh, what we have come to define as freedom and liberty uh, really has enslaved us. And when the gospel came into the world, the kind of sexual ethic of the ancient world was pure gratification mm-hmm. and purely an expression of male power. Mm-hmm. Now, um, if you were going to talk, if you were going to say, well, a sexual ethic of gratification and male power, uh, does that sound familiar at all? <laughs> you know, um, and it was the gospel that changed that, that said, no, our sexuality is for the mutual expression of love and commitment in a marriage, a covenanted relationship, mm-hmm. um, not for self gratification. Mm-hmm. Uh, and within the kind of the Paul's description of the mutuality of marriage, the, the man's body is not his own, it is his wife's. Mm. Uh, um, uh, the wife's body is not her own, it is her husband's. But this was a mutuality which was unheard of in the ancient mm. world. Uh, and so, um, you know, the gospel has located sexual ethics not in a purely social kind of order of men and women and power and powerlessness, which is very much what it was in the ancient world, locates sexuality in the cosmic order. Um, God and his faithfulness to his bride, Mm. uh, the church, and expressed in human marriages in commitment and faithfulness and mutual self-giving. So uh, the gospel has (laughs) as much as to say uh, to our kind of sex sexual ethics about sexual ethics in the contemporary world as it ever did mm. yeah mm. now straight after you get inaugurated installed as archbishop on friday night you're mm. basically straight on a plane to melbourne 
and um, it's the national Bishop's Unless we Conference. get locked out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the na- well, that, that's right. That we had a few <laughs> yes, more cases in Melbourne right, the last yes. few days, haven't that's we? That's right, yeah. 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 Um, uh, national Bishop's Conference in Melbourne next week. And, um, I mean, some of my bishop friends have said this is the worst week of their year. Um, mm. uh, and in, we've got really the future of the Anglican Church as a national entity hanging on a knife edge. Mm. And even my most optimistic friends... Mm are starting to say they can't see a way of the Anglican Church nationally holding together. Mm. And this is your first week in the job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, look, the, you know, these tensions have existed for some time and, uh, and they are uh, being kind of pushed to, uh, you know, uh, pushed to the limit. Um, my hope, and I think I've said this before, on one of my frequent visits to the pastor's heart. Um, uh, my hope is that as we open up the scriptures, uh, as we uh, attend uh, to God's word in the power of his spirit and in fellowship together, as bishops um, at some point as a general synod, as a national gathering of Anglicans, uh, that we will be um, uh, you know, reaffirmed in, in the truth of what we find there and that um, we will uh, do what is both faithful and, in our context, highly countercultural. Um, it will take that. It will mm. take that. And I'm not naive about that challenge. And I understand, uh, you know, the kinds of pressures that uh, are um, motivating those who want to go in another way. Uh, we are all seeking um, the best way... Uh, to um, affirm and welcome people of all sorts and conditions. Mm-hmm. And we've got very different ideas about what that is going to look like. And what we're saying is the scriptural patterns that we find in the Bible and that have been not only the historic patterns in um, Anglican Christianity, but which we know uh, as local church pastors are being lived out mm. week to week mm, mm, mm. Uh, by people in their own personal lives. We've got, those... lot, we got lots of people who are choosing to live faithful to God's teaching. Absolutely. Um, and finding Jesus to be uh, faithful and true, mm. um, that, uh, that trusting yourself to him and uh, living in, in, in his way. Uh, it, that's not a short sell, mm. you know. Th- that's a place of freedom and liberty and joy, mm-hmm. and um, so we continue to have that conversation. And so, how does it? What happens? Uh, is it Monday that the the, top, the talks start, or um, Tuesday, 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 Wednesday, Thursday is the bishops' meeting? So it was supposed to be the meeting of the general synod because of COVID. That isn't happening. Uh, so we've got a bishops' meeting instead. That, as you say, that'll be my first. Uh, opportunity to meet with the national bishops, and um, you know, I'll look forward to that. Right um, now, the big task, uh, according to Peter Lynn, and I think he's right, is this massive housing area out mm. in um, mm. southwestern Western mm. Sydney, and um, uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of families without a church. Yep. And history's going to judge you. <laughs> what are well, you going to do? <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, look, I, I hope, I mean, that, you know, it was such a great address um, that uh, Peter gave and he began with this big issue of the growth of Sydney. Uh, I can't remember all the figures, but I think it was something like 8 million people by 2056. Um, 50% of Sydney's population by 2056 
west of Parramatta, mm. and he made this terrific uh, observation, very illuminating and challenging, that 70% of the sort of diocesan uh, assets in terms mm. of property and so on, 70% are east of Parramatta and um, 50% of the population mm. will be west of Parramatta. And so, you know, th- there, there's a strategic challenge uh, and, for you. And all our meetings happen in the central business district. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. and I, there are leaders in the church who never go near yeah. Stratfield, let alone Parramatta. Yeah, yeah. sure. So I hope, look, I hope that Sydney Anglicans will just be energised and enthusiastic about the creation of actually new communities. These are suburbs that don't even exist yet. And I hope that there'll be a real sense, as there has been many times in the past, in past generations, a real sense of a God-given opportunity um, to uh, get into communities, to begin to serve communities and preach the gospel and see people gathered into relationship with the Lord Jesus, uh, you know, um, as those communities begin to uh, come into existence. I, I mean, I think I find it, it's, it's thrilling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think, um, uh, you know, we're opening up these new suburbs, but God is opening up areas of new opportunity um, and I very much hope to see us right there in the midst of it mm. um, as those communities come into, into being. Yeah. I just realised we haven't asked you about GAFCON, you know, and future involvement, GAFCON, those sure. kind of things. Talk to us about that, yeah. Uh, well, um, uh, you know, as you know, uh, GAFCON is a uh, global Anglican family, really, committed to uh, the biblical gospel and to seeing the gospel proclaimed, um, especially led by majority world leaders. S- Sydney has had a very strong commitment uh, to it uh, from the beginning, uh, and I think that's been really good for us. You know, mm. I, I think it's the uh, yeah. the the courage and the vitality, the prayerfulness, the enterprise of majority world Christians, often with far fewer resources than mm. we have, uh, but with uh, a, a, just a deep reliance um, in prayerfulness and an adventurousness in undertaking mission enterprise. Um, you know, believing that God will bless the, the preaching of the gospel. That's been inspiring, and I'm very glad to have a role in that way. We've got a conference coming up in July mm. um, uh, uh, here in Sydney, a national GAFCON conference, and uh, I think we've got about 300 people coming along to that. So and looking you're forward. chairing the organising committee, is that right? That's right, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Great. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, Dominic. Good to be with you. My guest on The Pastor's Heart, the new Archbishop-elect for Sydney's Anglican Church, Kanishka Rafael. And uh, it is great to, great to see you in this office. I'm okay. so thrilled. And uh, God has answered our prayers. <laughs> we'll see you next week on The Pastor's Heart. Hey, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you could hop over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating and review. That helps us in the rankings and lets other people discover the pastor's heart. And again, if you are able to help us out by being a financial partner, go to our Patreon link, patreon.com slash the pastor's heart.